Hi, Matt. Steve Roman here, president of uh, Global Atomic Corp. And uh, good to see you again today. Good to see you, sir. Um, time, time for catch up. Um, you last week put out the 2021 uh, results. Um, I mean, it's been a good year. I mean, we, we don't need to kind of get into the, the, the detail uh, other than to say it, it was a good year for you guys last 12 months or so. Um, I want to dig down a little bit on the on the Turkish stuff, only because we've seen some headlines about the um, Turkish government putting out statements with regards to, well, economic statements. What, what does that mean? What, what are they trying to do? What are they covering off and how does it affect you? Well, I think the, the big thing is that they don't want all the capital fleeing Turkey. So they would like people that are operating in Turkey to actually repatriate some of this capital to keep the economy going. Obviously, the you know, the, there's issues in that part of the world and all over the world, frankly. So, I mean, as far as we're concerned, uh, we repatriate all the capital required to buy raw materials, to pay our employees, uh, keep the plant operating. So we fall under the guidelines imposed by uh, President Erdogan. And um, so we haven't had any issues uh, during 2021, uh, we had an EBITDA from that operation, our share of $11.3 million. Uh, that was running at 64% capacity. So the steel industry still hasn't come back up to full capacity yet. Uh, I would expect that that's going to change post COVID. And uh, of course, there's gonna be a lot of rebuilding in the region required. Um, so the steel industry now may be less coming out of Russia, more people are going to be buying from, from Turkey, that's going to be helping us. There's more new steel mills being uh, put in place in Turkey right now. So we feel that uh, 2022 will be even better than 2021 from a point of view of throughput uh, at our operation because of higher steel production in Turkey. So right now things are going very well there. So what does this mean? You know, you know, what, the, the fact that government's making statements like that in, in, in public rather than sort of behind closed doors, um, are, they, are they nervous about their own economy? And, you know, and what, what are the sort of potential knock-on effects for you guys? I mean, are energy prices rising there? Is, are there other kind of punitive um, measures going to be put in place by the Turkish government? Or, or are you assured by your partners that it genuinely will be business as usual, margins not affected? Well, I, I think that uh, margins uh, potentially could be affected. I mean, en energy prices have gone up. Obviously, we use natural gas. We use uh, coking coal as our two primary ingredients. And so those costs have gone up. Uh, but the zinc price right now is almost $2 a pound. So it's uh, that the margin has been more than... Uh, positively affected by the rise in zinc price. There still seems to be a major shortage in zinc around the world. Zinc is now being used for new battery technology. So that's a whole new component. So if, if people start building batteries out of zinc, there won't be enough zinc on the planet. The, the stock there, the, uh, the zinc price will continue moving higher. So that that's absorbing, uh, of course, a lot of, uh, higher energy costs uh, that we have. But generally speaking, the margins are still very good. I mean, we're making money. We made money last year. We'll make money this year. Uh, we've, we've actually never had a losing year in Turkey. So since we've been operating in 2009, that's, this project has made money every year. Right, okay. So you, 
You feel that that because it's effectively going to be this kind of long cash annuity stream for you once the once the the new plan has been uh, paid for, and your your contribution to that is well, like, as we talked about in the past, gives you optionality in terms of what you do with that, either to you know take the cash or to you know utilize it for part of the the capex raise for. Um, your, your your project in Niger. So um, I don't want to go all ground on that one. If, let's talk about governments. The um, Niger government has said that they are only going to participate in the 10% free carry. They're, 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 well, that, that, that's as I understand it. So what was your reading of the situation? Is that cool? Any cause for concern? Well, no, they, they gave us a letter last August that they're going to participate for their 10%, but the, the rules are in Niger that until your local mining company is incorporated, they still can change their mind. Uh, there may be, who knows uh, what the final agreements will look like, but uh, we're, we're moving towards completion of that right now. And uh we expect it's going to stay the same or maybe a little bit different, but uh, there's not going to be a, a major shift that all of a sudden they're going to want 40%. Uh, they do have that option to go up to 40%, but uh, clearly they have to fund their share. So there, there's a two-edged sword there in, in one aspect. We, Global Atomic, uh, wouldn't need to raise as much money, but... On the other hand, your uh, your profitability may suffer because you own less of the project. So these these final details are being worked out right now. Of course, we're negotiating hard to maintain the the ninety ten split. Uh, they uh, you know time will tell whether this is going to uh, change at all. Have you got a preference? Because obviously, you know, having having a large partner is one one thing, but having a large you know, a sovereign partner is another in, in a sense. So, you know, what- well, you know what? A sovereign partner can be very helpful because they obviously are getting revenue stream from this operation. It's employing a lot of people. It's politically very good for them. And nobody's going to mess around with you if the government is putting their own money into the project. So, from that point of view, it's very positive. And uh, I think our IRRs uh, with, uh, with uh, you know, a small increase or no increase where we are, 90-10 right now, um, it, they're, they're not going to be that much affected because, of course, we did all of our studies at $35 a pound. Uranium right now is at about $60 a pound, 58 and a half. Uh, you know, the, the profitability of this project is uh, going through the roof based on uh, the the current uranium price. Yeah, and and like I, I want to get into a little bit of macro with you at the end if I can, but I just want, I just want to sort of understand you know what, what's going on on the ground um, at the moment because they say your feasibility study uh, is a big moment, big moment for you guys. But there's there's obviously a few things that need to happen on the ground too. Like for instance, um, you know you've you, you delayed the beginning of the underground mine development to later this year. Um, in part, or maybe entirely, because of the um, the DSO, the direct ship, or um, Tehrano's operation, um, is not yet finalized. So, where are you with that? Well, uh, right at the moment, we're waiting for Arano to give us uh, their um, processing fee. So uh, we went back and forth. Uh, now that we've got our feasibility study completed. 
which happened at the end of December last year. That was a big effort to get all of that done. But because we know what the cost of process are, uh, we feel that Arano should be sort of in that ballpark. Uh, this is what we're waiting on from them. Um, but the fact uh, that, and I need to speak to our shareholders here and investors, this was viewed from our point of view as a value opportunity. So whether we ship them or don't ship them or it was for a small amount, it was 100,000 tons a year for five years. So a total of 500,000 tons. Um, it's not a, a game changer. So from that point of view, people need to understand this was a, a small amount to fill a small gap, potentially generate some cash flow to the company while we're building our plant. However, the project is on schedule right now. Uh, we're just about completed the box cut. That needs to be properly uh, completed. That will be going into this month, April. Uh, then the other thing people need to understand is that uh, it takes a bit of time to get all your equipment on site. So because of delays worldwide with shipping and manufacturing equipment, some of our equipment is arriving in June, some of it in July. So we had to take stand back and take a look at this whole thing and say, okay, well, we don't have a final price from Murano yet. We don't have all of our equipment on site yet, although everything is proceeding and it's all coming. We all already have a, a lot of materials arriving at the port of Cotonou. They need to be trucked in, but before they're trucked in, we need to have our Niger Mining Company incorporated so that you can bring it in that uh, free. Uh, otherwise, you're ending up paying taxes on bringing in equipment for the mining project. So there's a whole series of things people need to understand here. And without an agreement from Morano that's definitive, uh, that we can sign and say, okay, you need this many tons at this date, etc. We decided, okay, let's push the actual underground development starting it in November. And what that does for us, it, uh, it eliminates a lot of excess mining and stockpiling of ore, which the government doesn't want you to mine and stockpile ore because it's uranium ore. They don't want to have a big pile of uranium ore sitting on surface. They want you to process that. So based on our mine plan uh, updates that we did over the last couple of months, we felt that there was uh, too much stockpile available by the time we started our own plant at the end of 2024. So in order to sort of scale that back, we just adjusted our mine plan. And, and this has done a couple of very good things for us. So it allows us to bring in all of our equipment, get it assembled, get the buildings assembled. Uh, the explosives, for instance, they're, they're brought on site with a, with a manufacturer and a distributor of explosives. You need that for mining, of course. Uh, those things won't be there and ready to go until uh, towards the end of the summer, uh, July, August. So without explosives, you can't mine anyway. So until these step-by-step these -step items are completed, uh, you can't really start your underground operation. Now, 
I will point out that uh, this period of time now is allowing us to do some major training programs in country. So the equipment that we're bringing in is very modern, up-to-date equipment. It's better than what people are used to there. And it's, it's high-tech machinery. So uh, we actually have with our contractor, CMAC Tyson, the ability to bring in simulators so these things are containerized simulators and we set them up on site and we actually start doing training programs for the local people. So when this equipment arrives and they start to use it, they actually know how to run this machinery because 99% of the employees are gonna be local people. And so this is allowing us to actually have a very, very proper training, program timeline for the development of the project while maintaining our original schedule. So we still expect to break ground for the plant construction at the beginning of 2023 and have the plant completed by the end of 2024. We are speaking with utilities and we um, are telling utilities we will have yellow cake for delivery Q1 of 2025. So that's completely on schedule. Okay, on, on schedule. But um, just a little bit more detail, if you don't mind. You, with regards to the detailed engineering studies that you have been doing, you, you've also talked about value engineering studies as well. Are they, are they one and the same, or is that kind of, does the value engineering sit within the detailed engineering? No. Um, so the process here is that now we have the feasibility done. We had a half a dozen groups uh, vying for an EPCM contract, engineering, procurement, construction, management. So that's the actual um, <coughs> building of the plant. And so now we've whittled those down to two. And so what we told them is say, listen, guys, uh, here's all the work we've done. Why don't you guys have a look at this thing for three or four weeks? Try to poke holes in it. See where you can improve it. If it's perfect, then just tell us, hey, no, this is really good. We don't need to do anything. And then give us your quote for a final EPCM contract. So it's all part of the process to finalize a, a, an eventual EPCM uh, bid winner. And of course, uh, once that's done, we start doing all of the detailed engineering. So, you know, what, where you put the bolt hole, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all done then over the, uh, the next four months. And then we kick off the construction Q1 of uh, next year. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's once we've selected, once we've yeah. selected the EPCM contractor. At the end of Q2. This would be uh, probably Q3, end of Q3, we'd pick that guy. Okay, 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 understood, understood. And you, you mentioned you, utilities having conversations and saying we will deliver Q1 of 20, 2025. Um, you're one of the very few having conversations with utilities about delivery because, because I think there's a conversation going on in market um, about what's promised to be supplied and what actually will be supplied and um there's some developers i think you're you're on schedule you're on time you're going to deliver you're going to produce right and you're going to produce what, what four and a half million pounds four and a half to five million pounds a year right that's 
meaningful. People are paying attention to that. Um, but you've also got a bunch of um, companies talk, talking the talk, not necessarily walking the walk at the moment. And utilities will be speaking to them, trying to work out what they are and are not going to be able to deliver. So what, what are the sorts of um, questions or concerns that the utilities have over your ability to deliver? Because they'll be affected by some of the conversations elsewhere where they go, I'm not so sure over here. Yeah, I would say, uh, well, we've, we've, we've engaged with quite a few utilities now. We're doing RFPs. We're submitting our, our bids for, for uh, sales. Uh, the big question with utilities is, uh, are we going to have the financing put together to build the plant? So that, that's the big nut in this whole thing. As far as doing the physical work and, and building a mine, we know how to do that. At the end of the day, the big nut to crack is what's the financing package look like? And of course we've got, because of uh, some uh, equity raises we've done uh, in 2021, we have enough capital now to do the entire uh, mine development till the end, oh, actually into Q1 next year. So that's all good, all financed, uh, but it's the, it's the amount we need to build the plant that we're working on right now. And that's what utilities want to have some assurance that that funding will be available. So you, they're asking you, can you get it financed? You're not worried about that. You're saying, I'll get it financed. It's just a question of what the structure is, right? You just, well, same, same problem, but you know, different concerns. It's a little bit chicken and egg. Right, uh, they, they want to be sure that we're going to get finance so that we can build a plant. And meanwhile, the utilities uh, or the banks want to know that we've got offtake so that they will give us the money. <laughs> so anyway, it's coming together, Matt. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, that, don't think that, that's um, changed. So look, in, in, in all of this, you're, things are moving ahead, you're on schedule and you're, you're making assurances about yellow cake in the can, um, Q1 2025 to utilities, the guys you should be talking to. In terms of the scale of this and the margins in this, you know, I made some allusion to it a second ago about trying to look at who, who else out there is able to have these conversations. And there's, there's only a handful of developers who looked like they well, the Aussies are getting financed at the moment. They're raising big sums of money. I think we 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 just saw 215 million raised by um, Paladin. We've we saw Boss go out for over 120 million. I think even you know some of the smaller guys, um, Bannerman, 45 million. They're, they're getting financed at the moment. But what's interesting to me is it wasn't just the uranium funds. It was some of the generalist funds stepping in here and i think that's that seems to be a sizable shift is that are you kind of hearing or feeling the same thing about money coming into the uh, space you know what matt i think if i, if I went today and said i wanted to do a 200 million dollar equity issue we'd be able to do it in a month uh but we don't want to do that we don't want to dilute our shareholders so we're looking at creative ways to finance this package but you're absolutely right there's a whole new group of people moving into the space and I heard at the end of last week that uh, even the, the big tech funds are moving into the uranium space because they view uranium as a disruptor metal. That's and this is price. something totally new. Um, it, it was actually, this is coming through a big U.S. Uh, brokerage house 
and they said they've never seen this before, that tech funds are actually now getting into uranium. So, you know, it opens up a whole new sector. I mean, the tech market has fallen off over the last few months. People are looking for alternative places to invest. They made a lot of money on tech. Hey, why not get into something that's going to provide you a clean, green power? And so that's that's uranium. And so uh, I think uh, doing equity issues is not an issue. It's just, uh, from my point of view, is... Um, minimizing dilution to our shareholders. Right, okay, so that, that's kind of a big driver for you. Um, if I if I look at what you're doing on the ground now, what, what you're, you raised a bit of money in December, which is, which is great, 35 million bucks. Um, what's that gonna be spent on and you know how far does that get you? Because um, what I'm going trying to work out is, that, is there much money left over for exploration? Oh, we're doing exploration right now. As a matter of fact, uh, we announced the 6,000 meters. It was really, really good results. Uh, the, the, the next series of holes that we've been doing are very good as well. So we will be able to put out some numbers, I, I would hope, in the next uh, quarter. Uh, these will be initial probe results and some initial, uh, let's say, ore body uh, dimensions and how it can affect our overall mine plan. But I think everybody realizes that this first phase of mining is we call it phase one is, is about 18% of the overall ore body. Um, so the rest of the ore body has been drilled on wide spacing. Um, let's say indicated and inferred. We want to move it up to measured and indicated. So we have to infill these holes then we incorporate that into the mine plan update and we either expand phase one or we move right into phase two. But there will be um, additional uh, exploration results coming out. And of course, people have to realize this is uh, currently about a 250 million pound deposit. It's one of the biggest in the world. It's high grade. It's the most high grade deposit in Africa. And we're, we're still currently trading at about $2 a pound in the ground, which is, you know, I mean, you look at some of these other projects uh, that aren't, not, aren't even permitted, uh, let alone fully permitted in construction. They're trading at uh, $6 to $9 a pound in the ground. We're at two. Uh, we have cash flow coming from our operations in Turkey. So, you know, a lot of companies don't have positive cash flow. We do. So I think eventually people catch on and say, okay, well, this is undervalued. This is a, a massive deposit that is uh, obviously uh, very profitable. Uh, we did all of our numbers at $35 a pound. We're now close to 60. As I mentioned previously, this is gonna create a, a huge profitable company. And it's, uh, it's currently, uh, you know, continuing the, the plan, getting the work done both on the construction side as well as the exploration side. We also, uh, I'll mention the, our ESA Cannon project. This is one that nobody's factored in into the equation. It's 35 to 40 million pounds drill indicated from previous exploration we've done. We've now shipped cores to Canada for in-situ leach testing. So this has the right geology for in-situ leaching which could provide a whole other component. So if you add 
these two deposits together currently were close to 300 million pounds in the company. Um, it's it, there's not many out there like that. No, the, the, the scales that they they well that kind of yeah I was going to bring it's like I can um, with, with, with the in situ ISR, but um, is that is that a is that a distraction for you at the moment, or do you think that needs to be part needs to be part of the story going forward? It's definitely not a distraction. Uh, so we had a separate crew out there working at Issa Cannon. They did the drilling. The whole intention was to get cores, test them for in situ. They're now in Canada. We'll do that over the next few months. We'll be making announcements about that. So that there's no no more work going on at Issa Cannon at the moment. Once we have results on the in situ, then we can put a program together and say, okay, what do we need to do that project? But really, we view these things as a pipeline. So DASA is the number one focus. You've got the plant being built there. Eventually, you might ship a loaded resin to the DASA plant, the process. But what it does is it increases the company's overall uh, resource base and, and value. And of course, this exploration drilling, as we move more of our resource at DASA into reserve category, I mean, the value of those reserves uh, just bumps the value of Global Atomic. So all of these things are adding to the value of the company. Okay, so, th so the same, like I say, there's a kind of, there's a bunch of portfolio projects there. The, it was Adrar Moles, Tin That's on the Adrar Moles 4 yeah. concession. And then we have the Tinigaran concessions as well. Tinigaran. There's a small open pitable deposit there. We haven't done any exploration work on that recently, but again, that's in a great area with an open pitable resource. But in terms, uh, in terms so, of permitting, I mean, can you do anything with those at the moment, or is that just a case of like, like that at some point we will get to those? Well, we we have them under an exploration permit at the moment. That's been, uh, I think, we're still good for two years on those permits. Um, eventually, of course, uh, you'll have to apply for a mining license if there is an economic deposit there. If there's no economic deposit, you would just let the permit lapse. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and because the size of them, well, I guess you don't know enough to, to work out what the potential is there and, and whether you keep it or spin it out or sell it or whatever. Um, We'll, we'll come to that. The, 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 core of, the core of this is DASA, obviously. Um, with regards to, um, just sorry, just on the exception before I, I, I leave that. So the, the, the cores are in Canada at the moment and you'll start to understand a little bit more about what the potential is there. So what's, what's the timeline on sort of getting the, the results back in from Canada? Oh, it's going to be a couple of months at least. So end of Q2. Okay. Okay. So a ways, a ways away um, at the moment. Okay. Fine. But we should have some further drilling updates from DASA itself before that. Right. Okay. Okay. And before we leave utilities completely, because they, I know everyone's fascinated by utilities. At least there's an understanding that term sheets are the important component here, not spot price. So I think that's been a sizable shift in understanding the last couple of years um, by uranium investors is the, the time that those get financed will be when you say, here, we have a funding solution. This is what it looks like. Or is it here? We are funded. 
now we can have the conversation. What's the kind of subtle difference in terms of when they'll come to the table and, and, and do more than just talk? Well, I think the, the, we've made it clear to them that, uh, you know, if they're interested in uranium, if they're interested in supporting a new developer, uh, that they should get in now. And most of them are in agreement with that. So I think once we can settle on uh, a price scenario, uh, we will be able to sign up some utilities. And depending on how tight the uranium market gets, of course, that incentivizes them a little bit further. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to, there's going to be a come to Jesus moment quite soon um, on, on that front. Um, so do you feel that the it was very much a buyer's market for, for the last several years, it's been a buyer's, buyer's market. Do you feel that there's that's shifting, starting to shift, the sands are starting to shift on those conversations and in terms of who's, who's driving it now? Or do you think that utilities are still having a watching brief on this? Well, I think since the, the whole Russia-Ukraine situation happened, uh, I believe all utilities are now looking to diversify some supply, particularly American utilities. And of course, they still operate the largest reactor fleet in the world. So without Russian supply, and there's uh, obviously a lot of talk about uh, cutting off that supply, uh, where are they going to go? So they do have to look at other areas to get the supply they need. And of course, we are high on that, on that list. And Africa holds no fear for them. They, they're not talking about buying domestic. No, I, I think that uh, domestically, there's not enough production domestically in the U.S. It's a very small producers. Uh, you know, we, we really targeted ourselves to be about, about a mid-sized producer originally because we thought that was a prudent thing to do, that we could actually sell four and a half to five million pounds a year. This project is very scalable. So if, if we need to produce a bit more, we can crank up our mining rate to 1,500 tons a day rather than 1,000. Uh, we've, we've built the project to be able to do that. But currently, uh, Niger does sell uranium to the United States, so it's not an unknown entity. Uh, the Americans have a big embassy in Niger. They have a big military base in Niger, so they're doing other projects in Niger. They're doing... Uh, ah, there, there's, there's a lot going on in Niger right now, uh, both on the oil and gas side, the gold side, the uranium side. So um, it, there's a lot of activity. Yeah, I, th I think there is. I mean, we did have a few questions sort of sent in about, you know, you know, obviously the French are moving out, but who's, is there anyone going to stay? They're not in? moving out of Niger. They're not? Okay. No. Interesting. No, they, they've actually said that uh, even though they're withdrawing forces from uh, Mali, they are repositioning into Niger. I did not know so, that. That's good news. That's right. No, they, 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 have, they just built a new Arano office building in Niamey. I mean, they're not leaving. And the, U and the U.S. military not leaving either? As far as I know, they're not leaving. Uh, it's the largest base in, in all of Africa that they have. So I would think, um, and of course, the government views the Sahel or the uh, Timur Soy Basin, where we're located, as a very strategic location. So it's very well guarded from a point of view of, uh, you know, on top of the fact that we're a thousand kilometers from the borders, 
where you've had some issues, uh, there's been nothing up in our region. Okay, that, that, that's a good update. That's a really good update. I hadn't um, computed that. Um, just finally, we've seen a bit of M&A, not only just the fundraising by the Aussies, but also recently, well, I think it'll complete in early July, is Deep Yellow, John Borshoff has done a merger with uh, Vimy Resources and uh, with an Aussie asset, Aussie company with an Aussie asset. Um, he was saying to me this morning that he feels that there will be more M&A his concern was valuations. There's some a lot of companies who perhaps are going to struggle to meet the um, the numbers that they have actually you know been talking to the market about um, in, in reality, um, and that a lot of these companies are potentially overvalued, and therefore will have a lot of backfilling of that valuation to do, and it also takes them out of the market for. Acquisition because no one's going to overpay for pounds on the ground. And you mentioned your two dollars number there. Does that make you an attractive takeout target? Or are you not thinking like that? Or will you be the aggressor, Stephen? Well, I would like to be the aggressor, Matt. You know what? This company right now at a thousand tons per day, the current uranium price, it will be very profitable. Why not? be the aggressor. Why not pick off some other good projects and diversify your production base, maybe to one or two other countries and, uh, you know, become a a very meaningful uh, uranium producer in the world. There's just uh, no reason why we shouldn't do that. Of course, we're here to make money for the shareholders. So if we get a wild bid comes in the door. Uh, I have to bring it to the shareholders and we'll see what it looks like at that time. But uh, this is a very, very um, unusual and high value asset that we have in the company. Okay. So one, one final one. It's always the one final one with me, isn't it? One, one final one, Stephen, <laughs> is in terms of, right, again, in, in the market, there's lots of companies I've spoken to over the past few years. They said, right, tell you what, when uranium reaches this price, we're all in. We're off and running at the races. We're producing, no problemo. We're kind of there for a lot of these names and, and, and uh, we're pretty close for some others. But they're now talking the language of, well, inflation has changed the landscape somewhat. Um, costs are different. And, I, and, I, and they're looking and, and even brave enough to say, well, actually, I think this could go higher. So we're not in any rush to kind of move forward here because this, the, the supply demand, well, the supply side of things is not going to match what the market thinks it's going to at the moment because we don't believe all the developers will get into production. And the demand side is going through the roof. So there's there's a kind of waiting game being played by some uh, because they feel they can get more of the upside. And there's a waiting game being played by others because they ain't ever getting into production. Um, so, do you what's your what's your take on the sort of the, the market dynamics at the moment? When you think some of the players will start to move, what's that price need to look like, or indeed, you know, which where where do you sit? You're you're not in any rush to get into the production here, or how are you playing it? Well, I think everybody knows by now that we're uh, targeting production for the end of 2024, which is a couple of years from now. Um, there's a lot of people that, that, that won't be in production by that time. And of course, Matt, you know, with every commodity cycle, you get uh, 
a lot of uh, people that are in, in the pump and dump mode. And of course, they, uh, they'll come up with a uranium property, they'll raise a bit of money, they'll do a bit of exploration. And then when the cycle is over, they're gone. Uh, we're, we're not like that. Obviously, we have a, a, a world-class asset here. We're meaning to build a world-class company. We've already got established cash flow at another operation. So th this is a whole different ballgame. But you're going to have a lot of those kind of players, uh, penny stocks, uh, you know, hustling and um, making a quick profit. Uh, why not? People do those kinds of things. But we're, we're a totally different league. Yeah, yeah, we've been. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. There's a kind of um, there's kind of comfort in investing in companies with strong fundamentals because it takes a lot of the stress away from having to work out how to play the market. Um, you know, so it comes back to guys. Anyone listening, the, the the team have done it before with an with an asset which sort of genuinely stacks up. It just takes a lot of stress away from investing. So try and find yourself some of those, just like this one, uh, Stephen. Good to catch up with you. Glad things are on, on schedule, on time, heading the right way. Um, it's been a heck of a last 18 months. Um, let's see if you're right about there's uh, way more value to be had um, from the story you're putting together. Matt, you know what? We'll keep doing our job. Uh, we'll keep coming out with results. We'll keep hitting milestones. We've proven that over the last couple of years, and that's what we're going to keep doing going forward. So uh, stand by for more news.